I don't think that much is going to happen on National Signing Day for Oregon. And no news is going to be the best news. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more, not less, more. Right now, new customers get $150 of bonus bets with any Winning $5 money line bet, that's 150 bucks if your team wins. That could include Oregon over Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl. Visit Fandle.com slash locked on to get started. Signing day stuff, quarterback questions, Dan Lanning, it's all coming up on today's show. Talking about uh, Dan Lanning, that is. But National Signing Day, there are going to be a lot of names and flips and all this sort of stuff. And it can be a really hectic, crazy time. I'm actually expecting this to be a pretty quiet time for the Ducks. And I think if it is quiet relative to what our expectations are, Oregon is going to land a top 10 recruiting class. And they absolutely should. And 2023's class finished, I think it was number nine nationally. They were inside the top 10. That should be the standard because in year one, things in theory, if things are going according to plan, generally speaking, you should be able to recruit better in years two, three, four, five, and beyond than you did in your first year. So when Dan Lanning comes in and in his first full recruiting cycle, lands a top 10 class, that should be the expectation. That's where Oregon is sitting right now. That's where I expect them to be. Now, do not be surprised or overly worried if a player or two flips, depending on who that player is. But Aiden Breland and Elijah Rushing, five-star defensive lineman. Braden Platt, the four-star linebacker out of Yelm, Washington. Those are the top three names in Oregon's recruiting class for uh, this upcoming cycle. And I think if you keep those guys committed, yeah, there's not going to be a ton of movement in terms of Oregon's recruiting ranking. If they were to fall, for example, from number nine to number 10 or 11 or 12, no, I wouldn't be tremendously worried on that front about the staff or the class or the roster or anything like that. Oregon, though, has done most of its damage on the recruiting trail. The key on National Signing Day is going to be to prevent, you know, repeats of the Peyton Bowen situation where he flipped from Notre Dame to Oregon or Oklahoma to Oregon, and then he wasn't, and there was a paperwork issue, and then three and a half steps later, he's at Notre Dame. So I think that Oregon has done a lot of great work on the recruiting trail. I expect the class to remain strong. I, I have not heard any intel as to whether or not Oregon is going to either get a bunch of flips or potentially have any players flipped. There could be a surprise or two. That that could 100% happen. Last year, it was the either Monday or Tuesday, I think at this time, when Dante Moore, now of course an Oregon Duck, had flipped from Oregon to UCLA. So we haven't seen any of that from the Ducks. We have seen them make portal acquisitions. Uh, Dante Moore, of course, the, the quarterback, along with Dylan Gabriel, the most notable additions. But players have announced their intentions to sign their national letters of intent. And once they sign on the dotted line, they will be enrolling with the Ducks. And there are going to be a lot of early enrollees in this class in the spring who we should get to see in the spring game and hear reporting about uh, throughout spring practice as well. So 
I, I think that the Ducks are in a really good spot here to land another top 10 class. I, I'd expect them to be there, you know, as long as they don't fall outside the top 11 or 12. I don't think there's anything that can happen that, that you know, would provide cause for concern or where you'd suddenly look and say, hey, this guy is now creating a, a need in the transfer portal. You need to add depth uh, somewhere in, you know, the next cycle or, you know, with a portal guy or whatever may have you. I think Oregon's in a good spot. I think they're going to end up in a good spot. There are a couple of names uh, to watch for that that Oregon fans should be aware of, some out of the high school ranks, some out of the transfer portal. So Jeremiah McKellen, the wide receiver commit to Ohio State. There, there's been you know rumors and speculation he's going to flip to Oregon. He's not going to flip to Oregon. The Ducks have had you know a couple of wide receiver decommitments in this 2024 class. So picking one up, could be a worthwhile ordeal for for Oregon and McKellen's a very talented kid. I don't know that that is going to happen. It certainly could, but the name I think that that is more important for the Ducks, frankly, because I, I think the receiving room has got a ton of depth. Austin Novosad, who talked to the media for the first time this year ahead of the bowl game. I hope we see him in the Fiesta Bowl. I really, really do. He was talking about Jerry on Dickey and said, you know, he's gotten so much better and learned the playbook and everything like that. I think when you look at him and Kyler Casper with Treshawn Holden and Gary Bryant Jr., yeah, you don't have a, a tested number one receiver at that time, but, man, you, you'd have a lot of talent in that room, so I think they'd be okay. But McKellen's a name to watch from the high school ranks. couple of portal names uh, to be aware of. Walter Nolan is down to Oregon and Ole Miss, uh, according to, I think it was on three sports that, that reported it. He is the number one overall player in the transfer portal. According to 24-7 Sports, he was the number one defensive lineman coming out of the 2022 class when he committed to Texas A&M. That would be a really, really nice addition. Now, Derek Harmon from Michigan State has also, I believe, visited Oregon and had a picture on his story with uh, Dan Lanning. He's an interior defensive lineman who'd be coming over from a Power 4 school. So either one or both of those guys would certainly slide over and start with the amount of depth Oregon's about to lose. On the interior of the defensive line, I don't think Oregon's done going after Walter Nolan. I don't know if they'll get him. You know, for the last week or so, it's felt like it's an Ole Miss uh, or there. It's felt like Ole Miss is the favorite is what I'm trying to say. That does not automatically mean that Oregon is going to be done there. So I, I'd watch for Walter Nolan to see if he kind of not flips per se because he hasn't committed to anywhere, uh, including Ole Miss. But See if the Oregon Ducks can uh, can pull one out there. Couple of names that I, I got a, a couple of questions about that I want to bring up here on the show: Corey Foreman and Damani Jackson. So these are former five star recruits transferring away from USC. Corey Foreman was a uh, number one overall defensive lineman, I believe, in the twenty twenty one cycle, and has not lived up to that billing at USC. Damani Jackson was a five star cornerback. And he's someone who also hasn't quite uh, lived up to the billing. At least that's uh, my understanding. I cover the Ducks uh, far more than I cover the Trojans, of course. I think Corey Foreman could be a possibility, you know, with the looming decision for Jordan Birch. We don't know what that is yet. That's another instance, along with Terrence Ferguson, where in a Johnny Cornelius, no news is good news because any news is probably going to be a commitment to the NFL draft rather than Oregon in 2024. I'd rather have all those guys back on Oregon's roster. Same goes for Tez Johnson. But you're losing a couple of, of players along the defensive line. Dorless played a lot of end. If Birch were to leave, Foreman would be someone who'd have experience. 
has got physical tools, not a great level of production, but certainly a power five capable starter for, for the Ducks if he came in. I think Corey Foreman would be a lot more likely than Damani Jackson. And I don't think Jackson makes that much sense. Just positionally and the depth that Oregon has at corner, the players they've brought in. You got Sione Lalea, the, the four-star transfer from uh, the JUCO ranks. He was the top JUCO corner in the transfer portal. You have Dante Manning coming back. I know TriQuest Bridges transferred to Florida uh, and left. And you've, of course, got Kyrie Jackson going to the NFL. But Jaleel Florence is back next year. Dante Manning's back next year. Lalea coming in. Nico Reed's still there. I, I don't see a corner making a lot of sense. And, and I don't think it's someone that, that the staff is actively pursuing. I'd give Foreman, you know, maybe a 10, 15% chance uh, of winding up with the Ducks. I think Jackson would be like less than 1%. I, I don't think that that's, uh, that's going to happen. But less noise is great noise for Oregon on National Signing Day. Because right now, you know, everyone essentially is is expecting the Ducks to to land a top 10 class, myself included, as, as I've mentioned. And if there isn't a bunch of, you know, if there aren't a bunch of things to talk about, that means everything is just kind of, you know, as Palpatine said, proceeding as we have foreseen. So that's where Oregon stands going into National Signing Day. Let me know your questions as the commitments roll in and who commits and who flips and who's Oregon flip. I'm going to be watching it tomorrow just like you. I've got nothing else to do. I'm going to be watching it all day. So send me your questions, as many of you have. And we're always, always going to get to the mailbag here on the show. We always get to FanDuel as well, because as the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. You could go bet Oregon if you're a new customer, $5 on the money line against Liberty, where they're a 17.5-point favorite. Bo Nix is going to be starting back there, and you get $150 in bonus bets. So, if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, yeah, there's no better time to get in on the action than right here, right now. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. I know you didn't see it there for those watching on YouTube. I can assure you. I've had my second segment sip, which means I'm ready to go. Into the mailbag we go. YouTube comments or Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks are the handles. DMs and mentions always wide open. If you want priority mailbag access, you can become a locked on ducks insider over at subtext. Free 14-day trial. Then it's just $5 a month. Of course, not a requirement, but you do, get, you do get priority access over there. You get my instant reaction to breaking news, and you stay up to date with everything going on with Oregon football, basketball, and elsewhere. This question came in from Bud. NIL and the transfer portal seem intrinsically linked. There's so much that is not public information. That is very true. What are your thoughts about the reasons for Oregon's success in the transfer portal specifically? How much is Oregon, their brand, uniforms, dollars available, future Nike employment, and other factors versus Dan Lanning's charisma, personality, plans on how to use each player, coaching staff, energy, family, environment? Love the depth of thoughts there. That is, that is, I mean, you got all the factors. You got everything that can really come into play with NIL and the portal there. I think it's pretty clear with the recruiting success that's carried over from the crystal ball era to now the Dan Lanning era for the last, you know, two and a half cycles that uh, Lanning and company have, have put together because they came in late kind of salvaged that 2022 class landed Josh Connerly. That was a big commitment. So I think that for the ducks, 
there is a certain cachet of that yellow O of, you know, Phil Knight, Nike, the uniforms, everything, right? And it's all paid off in a big way over the last 15 years to where Oregon's brand is sufficient that even though the university academically is not up to some of the other ones that are in the Big Ten, Oregon is there. Why? The football program. Like, there's no – I don't think anybody is uh, making any bones about that or trying to push push back on that particular notion. Like, if Oregon's football team didn't have the brand that it does, which goes beyond any one individual, I think including Phil Knight, then they would not currently be a member of the Big Ten Conference for 2024. So I think it carries a good amount of weight. I also think, as Brian Smith has talked about on this very show, Dan Lanning – bust his butt because if you want to recruit well to Oregon, you have to be an absolute grinder. And he is, he clearly is because Oregon does not have a lot of in-state talent. Washington's got more California, of course, has way more it's comparable, but I think Utah's even got more Arizona's got more Oregon is closer to Idaho in terms of the number of blue chip prospects that the high school's are, are churning out on an annual basis. So if you want to recruit well, you have to work extra hard because you're geographically challenged up there. It is harder to recruit. It is not given to you. So Kalen DeBoer at Washington, for instance, we know he's a great coach, AP coach of the year, which is very well-deserved because he did a heck of a job this season. He is not someone who grinds in recruiting like everybody else in the country. That is not his MO. Washington's class right now is like 38th in the country even though they have, as I said, more in-state talent in Washington than the Ducks have in Oregon. But Lanning and his staff prioritize it at a higher level. I think in the long run, that pays dividends. It obviously hasn't against the board just yet because he's a really good coach. But I think that for the Ducks, they've got a guy in Dan Lanning that wants to go into Texas, that wants to, you know, knows the importance of California. That relationship has been well-established. You know, there there are certainly elements of Oregon's brand that that helps Lanning get inside the top 10, but you can't just be given a top 10 class. Okay. If like, if, for example, if you're at Alabama, Georgia, heck, even Texas A&M to a certain extent, you can roll out of bed and put together a top 20 class and not even think about it. You can work kind of hard and get a top 10 class at Oregon. You have to be working around the clock all the time. It has to be a major priority and it clearly is. So I, I think that you know both factors are absolutely in play, and that's what comes together to bring us to the point as fans where we say, okay, a top ten recruiting class is the expectation. Playing in the Big Ten, playing on you know big stages and winning big games, and winning a lot of football games, and having the money and everything behind you—that's all there. But Lanning has to be a grinder as well, and I think he he absolutely is. This question from Sean Spencer with more—that's Dante Moore, of course—waiting. Do you think Dylan Gabriel will be pulled from playing if Oregon is up? I feel this hurts Bo's overall numbers. If he'd played all four quarters and put up big numbers, could this affect his Heisman chances? Well, for Bo Nix this year, because Oregon lost twice to Washington, he was never going to win the Heisman. If he had, you know, slightly better numbers, maybe, but once you got into a statistical argument, Jane Daniels ran for over 1,100 yards this year, I think it was. He ran for at least 1,000. Bo Nix was never going to do that because Oregon actually runs the football because Oregon's a better team than LSU. They're not reliant entirely on one guy, though Bo was, of course, spectacular and deserved to be a Heisman finalist this season. So I think that for Dylan Gabriel next year, 
I'm not, and I talked about this when he committed, I don't expect him to be a Heisman caliber quarterback. I expect him to be good because I've seen him be good. I mean, this year, over 3,600 yards, over 40 total touchdowns, six interceptions, completed almost 70% of his passes. I want him to be the same guy. If he's an even better version, great. But I don't think he has another gear the way that I felt, you know, Bo Nix perhaps could have when he transferred over from Auburn because Gabriel just came from a good situation. Oklahoma's a good football team. They're 10 and two. Playing Arizona in the Alamo Bowl without Dylan Gabriel is going to be tough, but that's a team that, and, and a program that is in a good spot and supported Gabriel. And that's what he can be. And that's what I expect him to be at Oregon next year because the Ducks can give every bit of support, arguably a little bit more than Oklahoma has for the last two seasons. He's been a good player there. But I, I think that for Dante Moore, you know, we saw Ty Thompson in a bevy of games this year. I think we'll see Dante Moore in several games next year. If Oregon keeps the Hawaii game, I'd expect him to play. You know, the Boise State game, I think the Broncos could be pretty good or at least, you know, competitive enough to where Dylan Gabriel would have to play all four quarters there. But you talk about the Idaho game, of course, uh, Oregon's backup quarterback is going to, get it, going to get into that one. Depending on what happens with Oregon State and how good their roster is, that game could get out of hand. Oregon State at Reeser, though, Ducks have lost the last two matchups at, at Reeser Stadium, so I wouldn't sleep on uh, that particular game. But I think you can find a, a number of matchups on, on the schedule where you look and go, yeah, Dante Moore will probably have the opportunity to play in four or five games. And, and I've mentioned this before as well. I don't think he's redshirting. I think he wants to develop to make himself the best NFL prospect he can. But to do that, he shouldn't need three seasons starting – at Oregon, right? He should need at least one, but two at the most. And I think that's the way he's going to approach it. So, you know, he'll play in as many games as he is needed. And I think there are going to be opportunities next year on Oregon's schedule to where he gets into the game because Oregon's up by so many points. And I'm just not concerned. Like, yeah, it's nice to have, you know, Heisman finalists and you'd love to see uh, an Oregon player win that again someday. But I think we'd all rather have the team success. Uh, at least I, I know that I know that I certainly would. This question from uh, Ham Radio Live Show asking about Kobe Savage, who is, is another name, I guess, kind of to watch on on National Signing Day to see if he, you know, puts ink to paper in the transfer portal sense, which might involve clicking buttons online. Not entirely certain there, but he's the uh, two-time All-Conference safety from Kansas State, who I think would be a fantastic addition to the Ducks secondary next year you know, to kind of slide in for Evan Williams, who had a really good year coming over from Fresno State. I think that Savage is a guy who could do a lot of good things for Oregon. The The question that, that Ham Radio Live Show uh, sent in was about him potentially playing both ways because he did that back in high school. I don't, I, I don't see that. I, I don't think that Oregon has a need elsewhere and Oregon has a tremendous need at safety. All his attention needs to be there. I, I think he's a guy that you bring in and you just say, be the same guy that you were at uh, Kansas State. I was bored and also a friend of mine texted me about this. So I did a you know just a brief statistical deep dive. Over the last two seasons, Kobe Savage has totaled six interceptions. All of Oregon's safeties over the last two seasons have totaled nine. One guy has got two-thirds the total of an entire position group over two years. He's really talented. I, I think he could be 
a legitimate upgrade there, and I like what he could bring uh, to to Oregon secondary there. Is that all the questions we've got for today's show? No. No, of course not. Here's one question for you, though. Do you know about LinkedIn jobs? Well, you're about to, because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top tier candidates as possible to interview. That is why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn is not just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion, that's billion with a B, professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows the small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have time or the resources to hire. That is why they want to help you out with an intuitive, quick, and easy process. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Back into the mailbag, we we go, this is a different Sean. Spelled the same way as the other Sean, though. Both are S-H-A-W-N kind of guys, not S-E-A-N. And by the way, S-H-A-W-N just makes a lot more grammatical sense, shall we say. Here's a question I have, says second Sean. With or without Savage, feel like we could still use more secondary help. Who else could the Ducks target to fill the room? I know they'd offered a cornerback from Oregon State uh, who played this past year. He's either a corner or a safety. But I think that for the Ducks, and I touched on this a bit earlier, at cornerback, I think with Sione Lalea, depending on how they feel about him coming in, I don't think Oregon actually has a need at corner. I think Oregon has a need at safety. Now, Cole Martin is an interesting case study there because – Martin is a guy who played nickel this year. And if they view him playing in the nickel spot, you know, where Tysheem Johnson played a lot this season as an essentially as a safety, that could be someone who takes a jump from, you know, his freshman to his sophomore year. You look at guys like Tyler Turner and Cody DeCambra who are in, in that room. You have Aaron Flowers coming in, who is an All-American out of high school. Maybe he's good enough to play as a true freshman. That's a really difficult thing to do, especially at you know a position where you have to have such a cerebral approach about you and just so much information to know, like safety. You know, the Caleb Downs of the world who played at Alabama this year and led the team in tackles, those guys are exceedingly rare. You know, it, it's a lot easier, I think, to play corner than than safety because oftentimes when you're a safety on the back end of a defense, you have more responsibility in terms of play calls and understanding coverages and assignments and whatnot. But I think that for, for the ducks in the safety room, yeah, adding Kobe Savage would be a, a no brainer addition. And I hope that that happens at, at some point today. If you're talking about other names that they could get out there, I don't think they have anybody on their radar at this time. And I wonder if that doesn't mean they feel confident either in one of the uh, redshirt freshmen, Turner or uh, DeCambra, or maybe they feel really good about Flowers. But I'd expect to see a lot of Cole Martin, and I'm just curious to see what happens with Tysheem Johnson, you know, because Johnson's a guy who succeeded a lot playing in the box this year. He had a couple interceptions, had some uh, a couple sacks as well. I think that that's someone who, you know, is kind of that star position that is best suited to play 15 yards and in rather than playing over the top. And I think that for the Ducks, if you bring in Savage, that's one safety over the top. But Cole Martin, when he came into the game, was not playing outside corner. 
he was playing nickel. Now he he's recruited as a cornerback, but going from corner to safety as the son of the defensive backs coach, certainly a feasible option in there. So I wonder if that is in the move, but I won't be surprised if Oregon goes out and adds another transfer at the safety position, because I agree with you, even with Savage in there, you're lacking some serious experience. But as we've also seen, I think Cole Martin is a dude. I, I, I think that guy, you know, from the moment we first saw him in the spring game, he was just locking up Chris Hudson. And we went, uh, well, that was Oregon's number two receiver a year ago. And Cole Martin was putting the clamps down. Well, Cole Martin played a good amount this year. And I think he's going to play even more next year. I'm curious to see how they use him and what that means for Tysheem Johnson's role. This question from N Censorship 874. All right. I can see in these portal days of a guy we like coming out of high school being encouraged to go to a school that plays a similar offense and then told they can come back in the portal in a year or two. An informal farm system, if you will. However, I can also see this being formalized that a big school in the FBS can have an FCS school develop talent and game experience for them. Can you see something like that or even a D2 school like a Portland State being a feeder school for Oregon? Well, first of all, Portland State's a Division I FCS, not a Division II, like where Jay Harris, the running back, just came in from Northwest, Northwest Missouri State. So important distinction there. But this is complicated. So, you know, Bud mentioned earlier in his question, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scene, the communication and what that is 1000 percent true. Can confirm. Every, I mean, I mean, and any anybody who knows anything can confirm that there are plenty of conversations. You know, when Cam Ward had all those initial offers, he still hasn't committed, by the way, which I find to be curious to say the least. But if you think that Cam Ward, the first contact that you know anybody had with Cam Ward came right after the season ended, I think that would be incorrect. These moves amongst quarterbacks happen very quickly because contact has been made which technically goes against the ncaa tampering rules but they're not looking into any of that sort of stuff because well everybody is doing it in college football so i think that with regards to the farm system you know i struggle to say that i i can see that happening in a formal way or frankly in an informal way i i don't think dante moore chose to go to ucla thinking yeah i'm gonna go here play for a year and get some experience, whether it's good or bad, and then come back to Oregon and eventually be their quarterback. Knowing, you know, well, I'm not going to get any experience sitting behind Bo Nix in 2023, which is true. He only would have played a handful of snaps here and there, if any at all. Who knows what would have happened with Ty Thompson if Moore had come in, you know, before the 2023 season. Moore might not have played at all this year. It's a touch tinfoil hat for me. It's just just a hair too much in in that direction. I can't say there's a zero percent chance that you know that sort of approach has taken place, given the facts on the ground that we have seen. But I, I really look at you know what college football is, and the kids are ultimately the ones making the decision. You know, Dan Lanning and the staff make as great a pitch as they can to everybody that that they want to recruit to Oregon. Let's say, hey, here's your scholarship, here's your NIL opportunity, here's your playing time, here's how you can get to the NFL, here's everything like that. But the kid is making the decision. And, and if you're someone who thinks you're good enough to play at the Power 5 level, I think, and I answered a question about this on yesterday's show too, I think that kids are still going to take that opportunity 
because you never know what can happen, right? And if you're, let's say you're a four-star quarterback or a high three-star quarterback coming out of high school and you're going to go to a power four program and you're going to have a chance to start, but you're not going to be guaranteed a starting spot at you know any particular position. If you're a recruit of that caliber to where a power four school is offering you a scholarship, you can always go play at an FCS or a, a, or a G5 school or a Division II school. That option will never be taken away from you. However, if kids go to a lower level school first, there is no guarantee that they have the opportunity, be it because of injuries or film or coaching, the coaches might not like you as much, so they could prefer somebody else and you might not get the chance to show what your full potential is. At that point in time, you're not going to look as appealing to a power four school. So if you have the opportunity as a high school recruit to go play major college football, you're going to take that. Knowing if it doesn't work out, I can always transfer somewhere and drop down to a lower level of competition and go see the field a bunch and try to build some tape to go play professionally in the NFL or XFL, CFL, whatever you want to do. But I don't think that kids are going to be recruited to a school like Austin Novosad, for instance. Let's say he, you know, coming out of high school, knew that Dante Moore was still going to be committed to the Ducks. Would it be in Novosad's interest to go to an FCS school, start for a year, put up a bunch of numbers, and then go into the portal somewhere and try to get to Oregon? There's no guarantee Oregon's going to want him at that point in time. There's just so many circumstances that can change. I don't think that that's going to happen. There's always going to be an interplay between FCS and you know FBS and Power 4 schools. I mean, Utah just got the running back from Idaho, who's a stud, and Idaho is an FCS school. Conversely, there are players who drop down from schools like Oregon, for instance, look at Seven McGee, one-time legitimate contributor for Oregon's offense, now is going to go play his second season this year at Jackson State. That's an FCS school down at an HBCU. So I think that that option always being there is going to continue the trend of, no, if, if a kid gets a chance to step foot on scholarship onto a practice field for a Power 4 football team, He's going to take that chance. And then if it doesn't work out, he can always go elsewhere. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.